Hi there. Nice to see you. Uh, some of you know that my daughter was in the hospital a few weeks ago. Um, she had a serious allergic reaction to penicillin, and uh, the doctors at first thought it was a condition that gave her about a 5% uh, chance of survival. Uh, thank the Lord she's doing much better. It was not what they thought it was, and uh, we're grateful to the Lord for that. It just ended up being uh, a, a very serious uh, allergy to penicillins. But So one of the things that we've been trying to do is like teach her to say to people if she's asked, that she's that she's allergic to uh, allergic to penicillin, and so I'm, I just want to ex- kind of show you how it went down. Um, day one, she's sitting on the kitchen counter, and uh, we say, Mia, if someone asks you, do you uh, are, are you allergic to anything? What do you say? She says, No. Like, no, no, Mia, you say yes. I'm allergic to penicillin. Let's try this again. So, uh, Mia, hi. Uh, are you allergic to anything? No. No, you say, you, you say yes. All right, we're going to work on this later. This is now day two. And then we go back and we say, um, uh, hello, Mia, nice to meet you. Oh, nice to meet you. Uh, Mia, are you allergic to anything? Yes. Oh, what are you allergic to? No. No, you say, you got to say yes, you're allergic to penicillin. So we got to do this whole thing. And then this is now, then the third day, uh, we say, oh, oh, hello, Mia, nice to meet you. I'm Dr. So-and-so. Um, are you allergic to anything? And she says, Yes. We said, that's great. What are you allergic to? Godzilla. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, Mia, you're not the city of Tokyo. You know, this is uh, this your penicillin. Anyway, she's got it down pretty much. Um, but I, 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 now I tell you that because sometimes we speak and uh, the people that we're speaking to hear something else entirely. And I know of no other place or no really better place than where that happens than in the uh, institution of marriage. Men and women are just so different. We're so different, and we have this tendency to many times say the same things, but mean something completely different, uh, and then understand something very different to what it is that's being said. Now, let me kind of explain it this way. The other day, uh, my wife comes up to me, and she says, um, do you know those bowls that we have? You know, they're, they're these plastic bowls and then they have like the plastic straw built in you ever see that they're like for little kids like for kneading cereal she says um if you see the green if you see a green uh cereal bowl with the straw um can you know can you find one of those for xander and and i said uh now i thought this was an odd request because i'm not normally the guy shopping for cereal bowls but i thought you know i'm in different places all the time so maybe it's i'm sure you know if i come across one in my travels I'll pick one up. Well, Monday night, uh, I'm in Publix uh, getting some stuff. And I'm walking through, you know, Carrie gives me a a list of a few things we needed. I needed to pick up a couple things. So I go there, and uh, I run into one of the green bowls. What are the chances that I would run into one of these bowls like two days after she asked me? So I grab one of the bowls, put it in the cart, and buy it. And then I get home, and I'm like, you are going to be so impressed with this and and she's like well what happens and i pull out the green bowl and she's like why did you buy a green bowl because you asked me to buy you a green bowl like 48 hours ago she says no i told you that we we i already bought xander one but it's missing i just said can you find one like find it and i'm like that's not what you said 
She's like, that's exactly what I said. We have the bowl, and Xander uses the green one, and Mia uses the other one, and so, you know, Mia's very particular, and so I'm just saying, could you just find the one? Um, just could you find one? That's what I was asking you to do. Since when do you buy bowls anyway? I'm like, well, that's a good point. And, and uh, which, by the way, I, the, the mystery of the bowl was solved last night, funny enough, because Mia uh, shows up, or Mia sees the green bowl, and she's like, what's the green bowl doing out here? And Terry says, what do you mean, what is it doing out here? Where is the green bowl? Oh, it's in Xander's tent. Well, uh, the kids both have, like, these tents. Like, Mia has this princess tent in her room, uh, which takes up about 75% of the room, and then Xander has this Toy Story tent, and she says, oh, it's, it's in Xander's tent, and it's for my dog. Now, we don't have a dog, but sometimes Mia likes to play like Xander is her dog. <laughs> and uh, so she'll just grab him, and she'll say, come on, puppy. And, uh, and so she'll drag him around the house. And so, one of the th and so she put the bowl in his tent so that if he gets thirsty in the middle of the night, he can drink out of his bowl. And uh, so anyway, it's, uh, we're working on our parenting skills. Um, but we're, uh, we're uh, now we're starting this brand new series, and we're going to spend the next five weeks talking about marriage. And and, uh, and what we're trying to do is is take really one slice of marriage, because marriage is such a huge subject. But we take one slice of marriage and really drill down as deep as we can on this one subject. And what we're going to be talking about in this series that's called "He Said, She Said" is really explore the differences between men and women, because one of the reasons. Uh, and, and in working with couples for so many years now, uh, almost, I don't know, 13, 14 years, um, it, one of the things that I see in, in men and women um, that are married and, and men and women that are getting married is how unprepared they are uh, for how different they're going to be. Because when you're dating, the two of you being very different, it's really cute. And you're like, you know, it's really cute. You say things like, you know, well, you know, opposites attract. Well, opposites do attract, and then you get married, and then opposites attack. And that's, that's, how, that's what happens. And, um, and, and I'll be honest with you. The funny thing to me is, um, is how God puts people together who are so different. Uh, and I see people who are very happily married that are so absolutely different. I'm amazed that they can even stand each other, much less they've been married for 10 years uh, or, or longer. But what I want to do is this, because we're going to spend a lot of time talking about how different men and women are and, and how to really do that in, in the context of marriage and, and celebrate that and all of that. But what I want to do in setting the tone for our series is talking about um, if, if we are going to talk about the, the differences between men and women, I, I think we need to talk about well, the things that we have in common. And in fact, let me give you the statement that I think sets the, the whole tone, kind of the overarching theme of, um, of this series and this, the passages of Scripture that we're going to look at this week and in the following weeks. And that is, uh, th this, this statement right here, that men and women are different by design. We're different by design. And if that's the case, then we need to celebrate our differences. But even though we are very different, there are some things that we have in common. And there's three things in particular in your notes that I want to share with you that we have in common. The first is this, is that both men and women are created in God's image. Both men and women are created in God's image. In your notes, it says this in Genesis chapter 1. It says, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. We both have value. We both have worth, men and women, because we are both created in the image of God. The second is this, is that both men and women reflect God's nature. 
because we're created in his image, we both reflect God's nature. In Genesis chapter 5, it says this. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. And the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day that they were created. You see, it takes both men and women to rightly reflect God's nature. There are aspects of God that are best seen in men, and there are aspects of God that are best seen in women. And when there's a man and a woman who are, who are married and doing God's will and living out the roles given to them by God, together they give us the best picture and reflection of God's image and nature to the world. And the third is this, is that both men and women are equal in God's sight. They're both equal in God's sight. In Galatians chapter 3, it says this. It says, For you're all, uh, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Men and women have different roles and responsibilities. responsibilities but it has nothing to do with our standing before God. You see, and so while we have these things in common, there is so much about us that's different. And that's why I believe we need to go back to the beginning. And as we go back to the beginning, we're going to be able to understand the why that God made us different. And in understanding the why that God made us different, we can understand the how that God wants us to live in harmony as married couples. So we're going to start in Genesis chapter 2. And uh, in fact, instead of when your notes say, starting in verse 18, uh, uh, we're going to go back a little further, and uh, I'm going to have you start in verse 8. Look at what it says, Genesis chapter 2, verse 8. It says, Then the Lord planted a garden eastward in Eden, and he formed, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then he named some rivers, and if you go down to verse 15, it says, Then the Lord took the man, and he put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat it you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him. Now if you pause there, and give me your attention, let me tell you the first way of the three that we're going to look at today that men and women are different. The first is this, is that we are different in how we feel loved. We're different in how we feel loved. Let me um, illustrate it this way if I can. Uh, the other day, it was probably like a month ago or so, I went to Publix um, for my wife, and, uh, and I said that I was going to buy myself a piece of cake. Because uh, one of the things that they do at Publix, they make like this, it's like birthday cake, but they just sell it in one slice because if you bring the whole cake home, you lose the whole cake, at least. Or maybe that's a little more autobiographical. But anyway, that's what would happen to me. So I just buy like one slice of cake so that I know that I can eat the cake and then eat the paper that it came in and that, you know, that's it. But that's as far as it goes. Well, anyway, so I say to, m to Carrie, I say uh, I was going to get a couple things and I was going to get myself a piece of cake. Would she like a piece of cake? And she's like, no, thank you. So I went, I bought the items I needed to buy, and then um, came home, and then after dinner, we're going to watch some TV, and I say, oh, wait, before you turn it on, let me get my piece of cake so I can watch it while, um, while the show is on. And she says, um, did you buy me one? And I'm like, no, you told me that you didn't want one. 
And she's like, yeah, but I figured you'd still buy me one, even though you didn't want one. And I, and I said, Carrie, it, like, in what universe does that make sense? I asked you three times if you wanted a piece of cake. I even described the cake. And you said, yes, but I'm not really in the mood for cake. And, and, and she said, but, and I remember I kept asking, you said no. And she said, yeah, I know, but you still should have bought a piece of cake for me. So now we'll just have to share yours. And I'm like, when did this agreement take place? Whoa. And, uh, and, and so anyway, we shared the cake. And, um, and, I, and I said to her after she ate most of it. Um, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, the after, after we shared the cake. And I, and I said, um, you know what I think? I said, I think if I would have brought home the cake, you would have said, didn't I tell you that I didn't want cake? And you know what she said? She said, yeah, that's probably true. And I said, so then if I can just take this conversation a little further, um, when, how will I know when I don't want cake really means I want cake? Or I don't want cake really means, yeah, I really don't want cake. And she says, uh, yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> and, I, you know, I didn't even know what to do with that. And now, now I have a theory. I have a theory, and my theory is, is that I, I think Carrie didn't want to have to say that she wanted cake, but she wanted to be surprised with cake. Now, you say, why? Because I think, once again, this is all my theory, right? And uh, my theory is this, is that, I think that she would have felt that I was thinking of her and the representation that I was thinking of her was this piece of cake. This is the, I was thinking about you the whole time I was in public. Here is the representation of my thoughts in buttercream form. That's my, that's my thought, right? Um, like, guys do not operate like this, right? Um, guys classify that as weird behavior. But you know what's weird? Like, I've asked, I've told this story to some of my friends and, you know, and even some of the, like the pastors and some of the guys on staff are like, this happened. That's weird. And then, the, you know, they say, yeah, that's weird. And they all told me a similar story with their wives. And I'm like, so they're all weird. And they're like, yes, pretty much. I'm like, this, this whole thing, this is contagious and it's spreading, you know. And uh, now this is the reason why I tell you all of this is that we're different. Generally speaking, women are more relational than men. And if you don't believe me, I mean, if you don't believe me, watch two guys hang out. Like two guys that are friends, watch them hang out. They barely even look at each other. Two guys go fishing. They don't like face each other in the boat. Like one guy throwing it this way, the other guy throwing it this way. Like, yeah, okay. No, they both face the same way. What's up? No, I'm just kidding. Well, we're sharing what we shouldn't talk for, but that's okay. Oh, yeah, that's right. That, right, so they, they go fishing. They, they don't talk. They'll, they'll go see like an action movie with things exploding. And, uh, and, and then so they'll say, hey, what's up? All right, movie starts in five minutes. They'll watch the movie. And then ap the, after the movie's over, uh, they're like, you doing good? Yeah, you're doing good. All right, hey, good hanging out. And it's like we didn't even – no, there was like four words spoken, you know, but they sat – they didn't sit next to each other. They sat with one seat apart because that's awkward. Um, and uh, so they sat one seat apart from each other, and then, but they still called it hanging out. Or, um, like, maybe they'll go to a ball game, and, um, and they're th that in that case, they're forced to sit next to each other, and, uh, but, like, make sure they don't ever touch at all. And, um, and then they'll talk, but never actually, they're watching the game, they'll never actually look at each other while they're talking. That's weird. I do it, too, but it's weird. I mean, if you just, like, think about it, 
um, uh, uh, like objectively, girls are the exact opposite of that. Like two girls will go to the mall together and they're like great friends and they will hold hands the entire time. They will lock arms. You see two guys doing that at Home Depot. Something's wrong, right? And, 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 and right, two girls will go to lunch together and, and they will share a salad, right? And, and they're like, you know, you take a bite and I'll take, I mean, that is like double dipping at its worst. And anyway, but they'll share a salad together. If two guys have lunch and one guy tries to take anything off the other guy's plate, that man is getting stabbed. He's going about, I mean, he, there, he's, go, he's, he's leaving with an injury for sure, right? And so, listen, we were both created for relationship, but we go about it in a totally different way. Now, and that's why I want you to note the verses that we read, and that's why I wanted to start a little bit earlier in verse 8. Because if you notice something, it says this. It says that God creates the man, and the first thing that he does is he puts him in the midst of this garden, and he gives him work to do. He gives him something to occupy his time to say, this is the, one of the purposes for which you were created. And it's a great job. It's, a, it's an important job. It's a job, something that will give you meaning and will begin to define you. When God creates the woman, he creates her and then brings her to the man. Because once again, we're, we're the, because she is, she, from creation, she's much more relational than the man. See, she, in general, women are more secure when, they, when she knows that things are good between her and her husband. Everything else could be going crazy. But if she's secure in a relationship with her husband, she thinks things are good. A guy, on the other hand, feels most secure when he's able to be the man, when he's able to provide for his family, when he feels like his work is meaningful. And so uh, the thing, and so, I mean, let's, let's kind of go deeper, another layer. Both men and women desire unconditional love. But the way that he feels unconditionally loved is not the same way that she feels unconditionally loved. And uh, kind of the way I like to explain it is this. A woman feels unconditionally loved when she's accepted. A man feels unconditionally loved when he's respected. Um, a woman feels unconditionally loved when her husband says to her, I will always be here because I love you no matter what. And he proves that with his actions over the course of time. When he tells her that I'm going to be here no matter what, that you are the most beautiful woman in the world to me and there's nobody else for me but you. You see, that's why a woman can never hear that she's loved too much. Uh, my wife and I just celebrated on Tuesday 14 years of holy matrimony. Very excited about that. And uh, we agreed that we're going to go for 15. So we're, we're, we're good there. And, uh, but you know, in all the years of me telling Carrie that, that I love her, and trying to do things that show her that I love her. She's never said to me, Bob, here, here's the deal. I get it. You really like me. Let's move on. Right? She's never said that. In fact, after 14 years, we dated for four and a half years. And then we've been married for 14 years. So now it's like 18 years. I'm almost at the point where I've known Carrie longer than not knowing her, if that makes any sense. And, uh, and, and so I tell Carrie I love her. And you know what she says to me sometimes? Really? Like, what is it about me that you really love? Let's talk about this. And, and I'm like, well, okay, let's, let's do that. And um, now, for a guy, it's totally different. For a guy, it's totally different. He feels unconditionally loved through affirmation and trust. It's when his, life, it's when his wife respects him and is proud of him that, 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 um, that he feels loved. And uh, do you know what question I ask my wife more than any other? And uh, I, I, I realized this probably about two or three weeks ago, and I'm like, it is this 
so amazing. I mean, I teach this stuff, and yet it, it's still like I still see it in, even in my own life. Um, uh, the question that I ask my wife the most is this, as, as odd as it might sound, is are you in prayer? Um, I, th- like, you know, I found a bowl, right? And the first thing I said to her is, are you in prayer? Right? Because I found a bowl at Publix, because apparently they're tough to find. And, uh, but, you know, we, um, we, we, got, we did like a little two-day getaway um, this week uh, on uh, Thursday and Friday. And uh, we came back on Saturday, and then we were, we were picking up our kids. And so there was, we had all this stuff, and then we stopped, and we bought, like, this big box of diapers, which has, like, I don't know, 870 diapers in it or something. And so that was in our trunk, and then we had some of the stuff that the kids had, so we're trying to fit it all in, in, in the trunk of my car. And she's like, this is, n- we're never going to be able to fit this in the car. We're going to have to take everything out of the box and try to do this. And I felt good. I'm like, listen, I'm an expert in Tetris. And so I can fit anything because life is pretty much just a game of organization. And so I go out there and I have my strategy and I fit everything into the trunk. And even I have a little space for extra stuff. And the first thing that I say to my wife is, uh, well, we get, we get, uh, we get there and, I, and um, we get home and I say, you know, I fit everything into the trunk and you didn't even say you were in prayer. Like that was the first thing I said. And, and she's like, uh, Oh, no, I said I was impressed. Uh, you just didn't hear me. And I'm like, well, as long as you thought it, that's fine, as long as you thought it. And, but I'm telling you, when, when a wife says to her husband that I'm proud of you, uh, when she says that, that I want you to know that I, that I trust you, listen, when you tell your husband that you're proud of him, let me tell you something, that guy will feel like he can conquer the world because a man wants to feel like a man. And here's the part that's so important for us as dads. Um, a man wants to feel like a man. And if he was never taught how to be a man at home, he will seek out an environment where he feels like he can be a man. One of the reasons, and this is not the only reason, but one of the reasons that men, that guys get just engrossed in hobbies um, and, and like video games and, and stuff like that is because it's sometimes the only place where they can feel like they can be a man um, because when they win, they, they, feel, like, they feel like a man. I, I told you this a few weeks ago in a different study about this, um, a different message about a study that came out that uh, it, was, it was actually a study from the UK that was done that uh, they asked the question uh, to all of these married men, if you, would you rather have sex with your wife tonight or play video games tonight? And 32% of the men said play video games. Now, while I cannot understand the guy that says, I choose we bowling over sex. I will honestly, I will say, I do not understand that. Because um, if you choose we bowling over sex, you, you need to buy a book or something because you're doing something wrong. Um, I do understand this. I do understand the fact that a man needs to feel affirmed. Even if the affirmation comes in the form of a score in a make-believe game. Um, and so the, the thinking is, and, and once again, a, a guy caught up in this doesn't really think about it in this sense, but the thinking is at least there's a clear understanding of what it takes to win here. And here's the thing that's important for us as, as those of us who are married, is that sometimes we don't realize that we're actually feeding into our spouse's insecurities and working against them feeling unconditionally loved. When a wife continually spurns her husband's sexual advances, Um, he begins to feel like he's not really a man because he doesn't feel unconditionally loved by his wife. In the same way, when a husband neglects 
his responsibilities at home, his wife feels unloved. And as guys, sometimes we don't make that connection naturally, but it's true. Um, You know, you're watching the game, and it goes into overtime, and your wife is waiting for you to take out the garbage so she can finish cleaning the kitchen, let's say. And so then she's asked you a couple of times to take out the garbage, but you haven't taken out the garbage. And then um, eventually she finally explodes, and she doesn't say anything about the garbage. She says, why do you put everything else before me? And you're scratching your head like, it's just, this game's going to be over in five minutes, and then I'm going to take the garbage out because the garbage isn't really going anywhere, right? But see, the big deal is, is that she feels loved when you put her first. That's why God tells couples to do the same thing, but he tells them to do it in different ways. Look at your notes, if you would, in Ephesians 5, verse 33. It says this, however, each of you must also love, uh, must also love his wife as he loves himse- himself, and the wife must respect her husband. We both want unconditional love. We just experience it in different ways. But he goes on. He says it's not good for the man to be alone, but look what happens in verse 20. It says, um, well, let's start in verse 18 again. He says, and the Lord said it's not good that the man should be alone. I'll make him a helper comparable to him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the air, and he brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. And so Adam gave names to all the cattle, all the birds of the air, every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. And then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And and Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. If you pause there and give me your attention. um, The the first thing that we talked about was that we're different in how we feel love. The second issue is we're different in our marriage roles. We're different in our marriage roles. One of the things that the Bible uh, talks about is that the Bible teaches that God calls men to lead in the home. Now, once again, if you're like more of like the feminazi persuasion, you might not like that. If you like to burn bras on the weekend and protest, I understand that. Um, but, but here's the thing. I didn't make this up, all right? Um, this is in the Bible. So, uh, so when I talk about, you know, men leading, wives submitting, all that kind of stuff, Please, you know, don't throw anything until you've kind of heard the whole piece as far as what the Bible actually teaches. But every time I I teach on the subject, it reminds me of a story. There was this visiting uh, professor we used to have in, um, he's a pastor, but he would come visit at the college that I went to. And he talked about um, a pastor whose church he went to. So this guy was a visiting professor, this guy's pastor. And um, this guy tells a story about teaching uh, from Ephesians 5, about wives submitting to their husbands and husbands loving their wives um, one Sunday at his church. And then after the service, this, um, uh, according to the story, this rather large woman with this big flowery hat comes up to the pastor. He was standing at the back door, shaking hands as people were walking out. And uh, the woman says to the pastor, Pastor, after hearing that message, if you were my husband, I would put poison in your coffee. And the pastor, he had his glasses, and he looked at her from through the glasses and he said madam if you were my wife i would drink it and uh so anyway um but uh i you know you don't really get to tell that story very much so whenever i get a chance i like to throw that out there 
And, uh, but here's the thing. I'm going to spend two full messages talking about uh, the biblical roles of, of husband and wives. And, but I do want to note something here that I think will set us up for uh, upcoming messages. Um, and that is that God says, when he looks at Adam, he says that there was no helper comparable to him. And that this becomes now the description of how he goes about to uh, create the woman. Now, now, I want you to think about this, because when he says now the woman is the helper, I don't want you to think about like, you know, she's like the assistant or, or, or something like that. This term helper in Hebrew is the, is the term ezer konegdo uh, in Hebrew, which is most used of God. The most times that ezer konegdo, this Hebrew word, is used in the Hebrew scriptures, it is used of God. In fact, I put one, one time that it's used in your notes in the Psalms. It says, surely God is my Ezra Konegdo. God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. Now, there's a couple of things that are very important to note. The first thing to, that's important to note is that, number one, sin has not entered the world yet. So there is never an issue where Adam is filled with pride or arrogance because God has brought this woman to, to help him. The second thing that's important to note is that Adam... The fact that Adam needs help tells us that there's something lacking in Adam's life. And so th that actually required God to bring a helper into his life in the first place. Now, being the helper, listen, God bringing this helper, this helpmate in, in the King James, um, into your life means that your wife is bringing strength and resources into your marriage that you do not possess, guys. So, the, so guys, men, men cannot be arrogant about, about this. Well, God's given us leadership and all this. Well, maybe, but God's brought her to you because there's something deficient. There's something missing. The flip side is this. Wives, you aren't called to lead your husband. You're called to influence him. You've been, you've been given that gift. But God wants, God wants you to help him. Help him be the man that he's supposed to be. Help him be the man God's called him to be. Guys, we're going to spend an entire message talking about what it means to be a godly husband. And the only thing that I can tell you is that on that Sunday, I would encourage you to bring a helmet and a cup. Um, yeah, I think it will help. Um, but listen, and this is the thing that's important to note. Husbands and wives are equal. We're equal in God's sight. We established that earlier. But just... And just because God gives husbands leadership does not make them better. It just makes them the responsible party. When mankind fell into sin in the garden, Adam blamed everyone but himself. I put the verses in there, but I'll just tell you what happened when God says, where are you after when they hid themselves because they realized that they were naked? And then he, God finds Adam. Adam comes out and he says, well, what happened? He says, did you eat of the tree that I told you not to eat from? And he, said, and he says, yes, it was the woman that you gave me. I mean, did, did you catch that? Like, you know, God, there's two people at fault here. It's this woman that you gave me and you, right? I mean, it, it, it's like God, he says, God, you brought me this beautiful naked woman. And, you know, you knew I couldn't resist. And I'm just a victim of circumstance here. And, and uh, you know, there should be a verse in the Bible, if I was writing it, there should be a verse in the Bible that says, and then after that, God slapped Adam upside his head because he was an idiot. Um, but it doesn't say that, unfortunately. What it says is this. This is the moment where God clearly defines the role. And he says, guess what, Adam and sons of Adam after that? You're not going to be able to pass the buck anymore. You're not going to be able to cut it, 
shift the blame anymore. From now on, when it's just there in your notes, when he says to the guy, from now on, I'm looking to you. You're the one that's responsible. I'm giving you leadership, and I'm making you responsible. Whatever happens, whatever goes on, I'm holding you accountable to it. The point is this. One of the reasons that couples have conflict is because they aren't operating within the roles given to them by God. You see, many, and once again, this is over the years, one of the things that I've seen is that many wives resent their husbands because he isn't leading. There's no leadership in the home. And so mom now has to take the reins because the guy's just standing on the sidelines. And you can't have harmony when both men and, and husband and wife aren't, aren't doing their part. Guys, your wife is looking for a man of God who will lead your family where God wants you to go. And that's why she gets upset when you waste your time and you waste your potential on trivial things. She's looking for the man in you. She sees the man in you that can lead well and that can, can earn the respect of his wife and his kids. Husband, let me tell you something else. God is looking to you because you're the accountable party. You're the one who's responsible for this. And he's looking for you to be godly because you're the one who's going to give an account for what's happening or didn't happen in your family. This has nothing to do with who's better. It has to do with whom God has given the responsibility to. Does this mean wife, wives are supposed to be doormats for their husbands? Absolutely not. What it should be and what it needs to be is that wives are so loved by their husbands with a sacrificial kind of love that Jesus modeled when he died for for us. A love like that that says, death to what I want, I'm doing what God wants because we as a family are following him. Guys, if you want a wife who will follow your leadership, you love her like that and you won't have any problem with her following you. Well, look at what happens next. Verse 24, it says this. It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Now they both were naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. I'm going to give you the last one, and that is this. And that is that we are different in our definition of intimacy. Our definition of intimacy. Men and women spell intimacy differently. Men spell it S-E-X. Women spell it T-A-L-K. And therein lies why there's so much conflict in this area in marriage. Couples fight about, you know, there's five things really that couples fight about. Three that are the big ones, right? They, they argue about, couples argue about money. They argue about their lack of communication and they argue about sex. Guys really think there's only one argument um, because the, the idea, you know, there's only one problem here and that's sex. Why? Because a guy's thinking, I can live without talking and I can find a way to live without money. But if we aren't having sex, we, we got problems. And uh, now... And one of the reasons that marriages experience so much difficulty in the area of intimacy is because men and women approach intimacy in different ways. Guys, your wife resents it when you ignore her all day long, but then you want to give her your undivided attention when the lights go out. Um, and ladies, if you have a headache that lasts for six months, you need to go see a doctor. All right? Um, it, it reminds me of uh, there's a guy who greeted his wife at the door when she got home. And uh, he handed her two aspirin, and she said, what's this for? And she said, he said, it's for your headache. She said, I don't have a headache. And he said, gotcha. So anyway, all right, we're on to something. So now I'm going to talk about this in greater detail uh, in a future message, but I do want to lay the groundwork by saying this, that sex is important to every marriage. 
I believe it's one of the ways that you can measure the health of your marriage is to look at your sex life. That's one of the reasons that, that this is important is because I, I love the phrase that the Bible uses for couples being intimate with each other. Um, it uses this, this um, wonderful phrase that just says this. It says that they knew each other. In fact, in, in your notes, it says this in, in Genesis chapter 4. It says, in Ad- now Adam knew his wife and she conceived. There's a knowing that happens when a husband and wife enter each other's embrace. That's why the verses say that we read that they were both naked and not ashamed. And listen, like naked is the most vulnerable that you're ever going to be. It's the most vulnerable you're ever going to be. And that's why one, this is one of the ways that couples become one flesh. Now, couples spend their whole lives becoming one flesh, and, and, and intimacy is part of that, and it, but it's, it's not the whole picture of how couples become one flesh, but it is part of it. Lots of people um, have premarital sex, and that's not two people becoming one. That's two people using each other. But sex within the confines of marriage is a glorious thing that's blessed by God. Now, let me talk to the singles for a moment, because you've been listening to all this stuff about marriage, and it seems I forgot to. I didn't forget to. Let me, let me share a moment with you and just say this to you. Um, your future marriage is being built in the decisions that you're making right now. Your ability to experience intimacy with your future spouse is being decided now in your commitment to stay, to stay pure until you say, I do. And let me tell you that I, I know that in the culture that we live in that, you know, well, well you know, we're going we're gonna to move in together and we're going to give this relationship a test drive and, and see how that goes. And, and, I, and I can understand why that might sound like conventional wisdom. Um, but my challenge to you is not to take the bait. Because guess what? Living together doesn't work. Studies have come out by, by very, very secular organizations that have done studies. And here's what they say. This is what all the studies say. Um, people who live together before they get married have a 75% chance of getting divorced. 50% if you don't. 75% chance of getting divorced if you do. And you say, well, I know that that's true, but you're the exception to that. No, you're not. No, you're not. And if you think you do, you're believing a lie from hell. Here's God's desire for you. Men, it's to find a woman it's to court her and to be able to, to be the kind of man of God who can win her heart. To become a, a man that is worthy of this woman's love. Girls, here's God's desire for you. It's that you become the kind of woman that's worthy of being pursued. That you live in such a godly way that a man would desire um, to say, I have to grow. I've got to become the kind of man that could possibly win this woman. That a man who would approach you and want to court you and win you, that godliness wouldn't be a question. It wouldn't be an option. It would be the starting place if he wants to win your heart. You see, God doesn't tell people that he doesn't want them to have sex till they get married because he's trying to spoil their fun. Instead, just the opposite, he's telling us to wait because the only way that we can ensure that we experience oneness, intimacy, and the real kind of fun that lasts is that we desire is by waiting until... We say I do so that we can experience that kind of oneness and, and one flesh that the Bible talks about. Um, married couples, let me close it with this. Um, we talked about three things. Unconditional love. We talked about purpose. 
We talked about intimacy, and here's the reality. Apart from God, all of those things are impossible. You can't experience unconditional love until you've experienced the unconditional love of God that's found in knowing Christ. Jesus gave us the perfect model of unconditional love. He died for us. He modeled our roles, our purpose. We submitted to his Father's will. He modeled intimacy for us as the church is called the bride of Christ. And we become one with him as we walk with him. You see, marriage is this glorious and great blessing. But listen, your spouse is not your savior. Your spouse is not your savior. The institution of marriage is not your savior. Instead, they are there not to be Jesus for you, but to make you more like Jesus. One of the foundational truths of marriage is that God did not create marriage to make you happy. He created marriage to make you holy. The only way that marriage works is when we realize that marriage isn't intended to make us happy. God uses marriage to make us more like him. And the reason that couples struggle and the reason that you think your marriage isn't working is because you aren't happy. And yet that's not really the litmus test of how it works. Marriage was never created to make you happy. It was created to make you holy. But you know where joy is found? Because there is joy in, in being married. It's found in two people who love each other, who are committed to each other, who are becoming one flesh, doing the will of God and walking with God. And when a husband and wife are both walking in step with the Spirit of God, there's joy in that marriage. And so here's my word to you as as we close. My word to you is fight for your marriage. My word to you is invest in your marriage. You see, if you say, well, uh, I understand what you're saying, but we're still having problems, then fight for your marriage. Go see a counselor. Go talk to a pastor. Go buy a book. Do something and fight for your marriage and don't give up. Invest in your marriage this This series is meant to invest in your marriage. This couples retreat that we're doing in May is meant to invest in your marriage. And other things that you can buy to to, to help you understand marriage a little bit more from God's perspective. All of these things are help to help you invest in your marriage as you get in environments where you hear God's word taught and you're encouraged in your marriage. But decide, decide, decide that you are never going to throw in the towel because what you have is way too precious to throw away. And you might think that it would be easier with someone else. Can I just tell you this? It won't be. But here's the thing. Um, You can't do marriage without God. You weren't created to do marriage without God because he created it. And that's one of the reasons why maybe marriage has been so hard. Is that you haven't invited the one who created marriage and the one who created you into your marriage. And so if you haven't started there then that's the place to begin to invite jesus into your life and ask him to forgive you of all of your sins and 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 for your your spouse to be the same and that becomes the starting place to say we want to build a marriage that works a marriage that glorifies god a marriage that connects let's pray together and lord we want to thank you we thank you for the fact that you created marriage because you love us yet you brought us, you brought many of us an amazing spouse because you love us and you want us to become more like you. So Lord, I pray, help us. Do a work in us. May this be the day that we decided that we would never throw in the towel. May this be the day we decided to not just um, 
invite you into our lives. If we haven't done that, may we do that. But if, if today was the day we invited you into our midst, in Jesus' name.